Join me every month for the inspiration to find your finish line. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Find Your Finish Line, presented by Activize, the official topical pain relief partner of Ironman. You can find Activize at Walmart, at Ironman.com, and on Amazon. This podcast is not only about you being able to find your finish line at a race or an event, but also in life. Every day, we've got to find that finish line. It's a day-by-day process. And I'll speak to a lot of people that have come up against walls in their life, gone through them, jumped over hurdles to get to where they are today. And hopefully, their stories will help inspire you. The gentleman I have on today has gone through quite a few walls. He was stopped a few times, but he kept moving forward. Welcome, Alex Degato from Fresno, California. How are you doing, Alex? Good. Thanks for having me, Mike. Doing well. I almost mispronounced your last name, Delgado. I don't know why I would do that. Thank goodness I didn't do that at the finish line in uh, Texas this year. Huh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I remember hearing well, that voice. <laughs> Alex, Alex is a husband, father of four children. Uh, he's a recovering drug and alcohol addict. He has uh, gone through some very interesting times. Interesting is an easy word to put to it. And uh, he'll put harder words to it. And Alex, the reason I wanted to bring you on the show is so many times in life, we see so many people struggle and they never are able to win on that struggle. They win some battles, but the war always seems to be lost. So you you moved to uh, Chicago from Cuba when you were six years old. You lived in a violent neighborhood and you walked around with a lot of fear on your shoulders. Tell us about that fear at that young age. Yeah, at four years old, I, I mean, I can remember it like it's yesterday. No four-year-old should have to remember this. I was riding my tricycle down the street and I remember hearing screeching tires and uh, this convertible comes and a brick is flying through the air and hits somebody in the back of the head and their head explodes and hits the steering wheel. And all I heard was the eh on the steering wheel and I looked to the right and my mom is jumping up and down saying, don't come home. And they're shooting uh, at near my house. So I just pulled into the side there. But in that moment, I had my first panic attack. At four years old, I remember being absolutely gripped by fear to the point where I could not move. I have a four-year-old now. And you know that when you're in that type of trauma, you think it's normal. But as I grew up, I had real bad social anxieties, a fear of always been being beaten to death. And we would move out and my, my family was a hardworking family. And even when we moved to a better neighborhood, the fear that was rooted never left. So I f- would find ways to mask fear. But unfortunately, all the ways that I was finding, I didn't understand, but my identity was being formed in a substance to overcome fear, opposed to learning how to deal with fear or maybe through better outlets. Yeah, and how, I, I, my goodness, I've got a grandson that four, is four years old, and I, I, I just can't even put him in that situation. I can't imagine that. And when that does happen to somebody of your age, four, six, eight years old, 
uh, coping with it. It isn't like you have life skills to say, well, I'll just do something else. I'll do something positive. I'll go find someone that'll help me out. You're in your own little bubble of a world and it just kept getting worse for you, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Social anxieties would grow. My identity was always an issue. You know, even being uh, in Chicago, it's kind of a segregated neighborhood. I, I would grow up in a neighborhood that was all one race <laughs> and I wasn't that race. And I would always try to be something I was not. You know, I, I would use sports as an outlet. As an only child, I would just play sports in the backyard by myself all day long. I remember feeling like that was a, an outlet that was healthy for me, that I just, my mom would put me in every sport. I mean, all year round, we'd go from indoor soccer to outdoor soccer to floor hockey. I was rambunctious <laughs> as well. So, um, you know, we use sports as an outlet, but that trauma, I didn't know this. It's unbelievable what self-awareness can do, reflection can do once you remove substances. You, you really realize substances are just the surface issue. There's a root issue that causes you to do these substances are highly addicted. And I would mask and numb pain from the time I was eight or nine years old all the way into my 30s uh, with weekend binge drinking from smoking, you know, marijuana and so on. And I would end up an IV heroin user, which I never in my life thought that I would be homeless using a, a drug that I couldn't even fathom thinking of. And the path would take me on a journey that I, I had no idea how I got there. And, and all that time, we're still talking, Alex. You're 10 years old or younger. Yeah. And, and uh, the, to be able to get it, the drugs and, and the alcohol, it was prevalent in your neighborhood. So it was really easy to get. Yeah, I, I would say the drugs came around 13 uh, with marijuana, um, and it seemed that it was more of a normal than an abnormal. Even back then, before you know marijuana was legalized or anything, it seemed, at least in the circles that I ran, what everybody did, you know, peer pressure, fear of others' opinions, so you you conform to who you're with, and yeah. um, for, but for me. Um, I could say this with zero doubt when I drank, it was the most freeing thing in the world. You know, people say that you don't always like things. You have to do them a little long. The first time I drank, I said, this is the way I want to feel for the rest of my life because it was a moment of freedom for me. I could escape reality and what I didn't know. And I've learned through traumatic, you know, learning about trauma is that I was self-hating myself because I knew that I shouldn't carry that fear and I would see others who don't carry that fear and then I would not enjoy who I am because of this crutch I had. But when I met alcohol, all fear was gone. It's like, Never. my my goodness, you met, you met your best friend in alcohol. Best friend. Yes, absolutely. It was my freedom, a superpower. It, it was... Finally, <laughs> I can feel amazing. And, and, and then on my weekends would be great. And the next day I would be fine early on. But what would then happen is eventually you, you would withdraw. And the amounts of alcohol that I was taking, I mean, in my early 20s, I would need, after working at the stock market and seeing way more success than anybody should see at a young age, 
I mean, you're watching guys in their 20s make a couple hundred thousand a day. I mean, Super Bowl pools are a million dollars in cash. It's absolutely insane when you're 17 years old and get introduced to that. And I was kind of taught to work hard, play harder. And that's where the real binge drinking came in and cocaine. And then, hey, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. At a very young age, I was it was instilled in me. I love the Iron Man mantra because being a, a Cuban refugee, I was instilled from a very young age that in this country, you can do anything. I've been fortunate enough to never have limits to what I think is possible other than I, I don't think I could be president of the United States because I wasn't born here, but <laughs> I think we're good. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's interesting, Alex. You you go from one addiction to another addiction that you think is positive, that success and money. Yes. At the early age of working on the Chicago Stock Exchange, you're introduced, and I, I would imagine the people you were working with were were older than you. Even if they were five years older than you, they probably seemed like such mature adults. And, oh, my gosh, they were doing in that. But you were just transferring addictions, weren't you? Yes. I was a baby, and I always carried this burden that was never put on me but my, by my family, but that I had to be successful. And I was on this search, this pursuit of what is success. So when I saw that, I figured money, power, partying, and of course the partying I loved. So the more money I can have, the more you can party. And then, you know, that that would just entice me even more. And I would begin to travel the world and go into nightclubs. Again, all still very fun, exhilarating things that a lot of people still tell war stories about, but it didn't end very good for me. Well, you know how, and you, I've, I've, I've read this, you've said those daily decisions build your destiny. They, yeah. they, they can build that future for you at an early age. Well, you were building a destiny that was going to take you to homelessness, uh, all, all hope, loss, suicidal. And that was over like a 10 or 12 year span, wasn't it? Yeah. From about 17 to 30, I would be on a violent pursuit. I love that phrase, your daily decisions determine your destiny. I would be on a violent pursuit of what does success look like? And I, you know, I'm so thankful that I was able to achieve a lot of the things I wanted to. I never got as much money as I wanted to, and thank God for that, because it would have been more of a curse. But I was able to achieve a lot of what I want or grab these material things that I thought would fulfill you. And they're just empty. It doesn't matter how much you get, you want more. <laughs> I, you know, I go around speaking a lot in the state of California and schools and different places. If you get this type of car, you want that one. If you get this watch, you want the gold one and then the platinum. It's just never enough. So I was trying to find my identity in things that were never created for me. And it would leave me completely hopeless, like you said. Going, let's go back now to the early time with that fear. Do you believe trying to get that bigger car, make more money, always reaching out for something that was there? Did you believe those things were going to cure your fear or make you whole? What did you believe they were going to do for you? Give me purpose. 
Uh, I have abandonment issues. Again, I was raised by a single mom. I don't remember ever having a dad. No birthday calls, any of that. And I don't say that for self-pity. I've worked through those issues. But I was always looking for this father figure or something. And then I wanted to be this bigger-than-life person that at the end of the day was a real jerk and knew nothing about humanity, knew nothing about morals, knew nothing about value, had no faith whatsoever. And uh, I would grasp for, you know, the American dream that if I can obtain enough, eventually one day I'll be happy. But I would just keep obtaining and and then I would just self crumble. I would literally self explode probably every two years, lose everything. But I had this fight in me to get it back. And I would always get it back. Well, yeah, because it's interesting. In 2008, you entered and you were training for the Chicago Marathon. Yes. That's a lofty goal. Yeah. And you're you're going out there, putting the miles in, and all of a sudden, you fell back into the bad well. How did yep. that happen? So I was at the stock market working. I, there was so much going on. I was about to get my seat at the exchange. I had people that were willing to invest in me because I had strung together about nine months of sobriety, white knuckle. <laughs> I mean, it, it, there was no, no, wait, no, 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 no meetings, no anything like that. No, just no spiritual to, awakening, no faith, nothing. Just completely, I'm going to do this. <laughs> and then I wouldn't even go to bars with people and sip on tonic. So no change of life, <laughs> nothing, right. still, still doing everything except not drinking. And uh, the first three months, people, my, even my boss was like, listen, if you don't change, uh, I don't think I can have you here. I was just, I was going crazy. I want to fight everyone, kill everyone. I mean, just all these substances were coming out of me. But then there was like this white light where everyone was like, man, this kid is brilliant. This kid has potential because I'm sober. <laughs> and people were like applauding that and then I, then I woke up and since I wasn't going, spending all this time drinking in a bar, I, I in the AA community, uh, met some runners and just started running. And, you know, I was the endorphins that come from running make you feel pretty good. <laughs> so right. I had never right. felt those before. The first time I ran four miles, I would compare it to harder than Texas Ironman. I, I thought I was going to die. I was on the side of the road keeled. I thought I was going to die. Uh, I'd never run before, but then I, you know, like you said, I started getting in shape, started, uh, I blew my foot out on a 17 mile run, but I was so nervous of success. I was so nervous of the pressure of what if I don't make it fear <laughs> on the other side? What if I don't make this money at the stock market? What if this isn't for me? All these questions. And it became the put on all this weight on me that I was never intended to carry. And I had no outlet other than this, uh, you know, AA group and running. And uh, I remember like it was yesterday, I walked into the bar and I knew as soon as I oh walk into God. this bar, everything's out the window and I drank. And it was the, all gone. What about, you know, a lot of times people in that situation, you depend on somebody else and you take a look at their lives and go, you know what? They look like, they have it together. Yeah. But you hadn't really found a mentor yet, had you? I was working with somebody who really, really grasped and found the freedom. But it wasn't um, something that I was like, man, I want that exact lifestyle. 
that's what I want. It was more or less, you're in it with me. You can't drink either. And, and there was something, you know, I'm not here to promote any type of recovery, but there was something, and I don't know if it's my pride or what, that didn't sit well with me of being labeled something for the rest of my life. Because alcohol was such a God in my life, that when I lost it, I felt like I had a scarlet letter. I'm going to be a loser for the rest of my life because all of my friends can drink. Everybody I know, my boss, everyone at work, every but they wake up and they don't do what I do when they wake up. They just man up, deal with their hangover and go to work the next day. And I had a really hard time admitting that I was going to wear this, this deficiency and be labeled by it for the rest of my life where it wouldn't be till later years that I understood that. Your your identity can surely change. Yeah, that's that that's got to be a powerful message within yourself, uh, and you know, not the but but to have loser on your forehead. Exactly. I mean, that's probably how you looked at it. And, and as tough as it is for me to say that, uh, you lived that every day for a long time. Yep, I, I woke up and I hated what I saw in the mirror, disgusted. And I knew that I was letting everyone around me down and I could not get out. I, I could not. <laughs> it's just a vicious cycle on a hamster wheel going really wrong way. So all of a sudden, tell us, tell us where you were. What was your life like when you discovered Iron Man and how you discovered it? I was 250 pounds, suicidal. I think in AA, I had heard someone say they were doing an Ironman, but I never really put thought to it. But I was sitting on a chair, 250 pounds, completely suicidal. I would come out of detox from every drug that you can imagine. And about 30 beers a day and half a bottle of Jack Daniels every day, taking Xanax just to be able to sleep. I would wake up trembling and go to a bar and drink out of a straw just so I can stop shaking. Brushing Alex, them. it's amazing to me you say that, that, that you're even living. Oh, it, yeah. I, it, I mean, this is like medical history for what my body's been through. Uh, it's unbelievable. My grandmother says, I don't know how you look the way you do at your age after what you, you did to your body. It's amazing what, what we are created for when there's purpose. But I sat there. I didn't sleep for 17 days straight when I came out of uh, <laughs> detox, 17 nights straight. I was seeing like shadows on the wall. I was just delirious. And I was reading all these books. I entered the, a program called Teen Challenge, which is crazy because I work for them now, but that hasn't always been the case. And on the TV, I'm miserable. I mean, miserable. I hate my life. It's below zero in Indiana or else I wouldn't even be sitting in there. I'm in the middle of a cornfield. I felt like uh, Henry Hill in Goodfellas and Witness Protection <laughs> Program. I came from an all-Italian neighborhood in Chicago, and I'm dumped <laughs> in, in the middle of a cornfield. And on comes the Ironman World Championship. And I remember just sitting there crying. I hadn't even come to my faith yet, but I was just sitting there crying. And I heard these amazing stories. I remember one of them was Sandy Hook. And oh. I, 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 you mentioned it in your book. And, and I'm yeah. sitting there and I'm crying and I'm watching people really live their life, truly make something of themselves that didn't involve much flash 
or money surely didn't involve a substance. And these stories keep going. And I'll never forget saying, why can't I ever do something like that with my life? And with 17 days of no sleep, after like five or six days, 250 pounds, I could barely breathe. I walked outside in the freezing cold of Indiana and I attempted to jog my first half mile. And I remember I, I was like, I can't do this. But the next day I walked a little more and jogged and I started sleeping. <laughs> so I said, oh man, we got something here. And I begun to run and the dream of the Chicago Marathon came back. And, and I go to church and I meet this man, this tall six foot something man, and he has this logo on him. And I just gravitate to him and his name's Greg Miller. And, and then he starts saying how he's doing Ironmans. He's now a 25 time Ironman, uh, attempted 26. Uh, <laughs> you probably, you think about that. You probably, here you wanted to run the Chicago Marathon, didn't even get to the start line. And somebody tells you they've done 25 of these Ironmans. That had to be daunting to you. At the time, he hadn't done 25. Now he has. He, he was building it. This is about 10 years, 12 years ago. So he was oh, probably. So, so he's done eight. He did eight or 10 yeah. at that time. So. He was at least 10 in. And he had the tattoo yeah. to prove it. So uh, <laughs> we begin to talk. And I start to rally the troops at our rehab. It's a one-year faith-based recovery. And we do, a, we do a 5K. Then we do a half marathon. And within 10 months, or that was November, the following October, I would run my first marathon in that program training. And it was one of the most exhilarating things. My favorite Bible verse was on the t-shirt and it, I'm part of that tri club now. I can, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we went out there as a team and ran this race together. And, and I'll never forget saying, all right, Kona, I'm coming for you. That was the first thing I thought of when I finished that race. I, well, I celebrated, but then I said, man, anything is possible. <laughs> anything is possible. What I thought was just so far, but you know, life, life gets busy and you know, I would graduate. I, I go through some hard times, but then I moved to California and through COVID, I, I looked at my wife at the end of 2020 and I said, I have a dream. You know, I don't even know that I had shared that dream with her. You know, I, I was doing CrossFit and staying in shape and do a half marathon whenever I wanted without training. But I looked at her and I said, man, I have a dream uh, of an Ironman. She said, let's do it. Chase your dreams. We had a brand new, like, she was about to pop four weeks from giving birth. And she said, let's do it. And through our, our two-year-old at the time, our newborn and had another baby, the journey began. Wow. How'd you, yeah. how'd you meet your wife, Alex? I met her at a church service. Uh, my wife has the same, well, completely different story than I have. She grew up in a very uh, different side of town <laughs> with, with, <laughs> with, with no shootings and no, she, she grew up with a great family. Uh, complete opposite story of mine. But it's funny that our destinies would bring us to a point where we were both completely 100% done living with the way we were living. And I feel what, what, what people may seem as, man, that's dangerous. That has been my wife and I's 
probably biggest blessing to be able to look in each other's eyes and say, how's your soul? How are you dealing? How, how are you doing? Because we know what it's like to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you were, uh, you've got the goal now to yeah. do Ironman Texas, which you did April of this year. Yeah. But you during that time, of, <laughs> during that time of training with Greg and others, did you have any inklings at all of, of a relapse? Were you, were you pushing yourself out of dark places? Tell us about that journey. Yes. So immediately after, I kind of got ahead of myself, immediately after that marathon, I would finish right. the program. And I would, um, I would say not surrender to my faith fully. I was trying to live a little bit this way. I knew that I had a call on my life to do what I'm doing now but I still had that love of money in me and I wanted to pursue my relationships and, and, and my career the way I wanted to, when I knew God was calling me to help people. I knew, I knew it with everything in my being that I'm probably not supposed to go this way, but I'm sober. And, and we signed up for Arizona Ironman, uh, in 2000, that would be 2011. 13. Okay. 2011, uh, or no, I'm sorry, 2012, Arizona Ironman. And I was pushing with everything I had. I got rear-ended in a car accident. And, you know, I knew better than to take the prescription medicine they were about to give me. I said, oh, I'm going to take it with no accountability in my life. And I was uh, in relationships with other people that were definitely headed in that direction as well. And in the end, it went, you know, oh, to the darkest place it's ever been. My story isn't one of drugs and heroin the whole time. I didn't do drugs and heroin, well, drugs, yes, but I didn't do heroin until I relapsed, Mike. They say it comes back with seven more demons when you clean a room and then try to come back. I didn't, I didn't go to the, I went to the darkest place in my life for about 11 months after that relapse in 2012 how did that with 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 your wife and the family life that how that structure stay together i didn't i didn't i didn't meet my wife yet so the timeline oh, you were before okay yeah i was dating somebody else i was still single i was living in indiana i didn't um meet my wife till i moved to california okay. so in that okay. time i was still 20, 2012 to 2015 I was still in California trying to do things my way, not surrendering my will, you know, just living a life of, hey, I think these things can still fill me. But really, you know, and then in that, I was still running marathons. I think I ran two marathons and then we were ready to and I did a steelhead half Ironman. So now the goal of Arizona was on the on the docket, signed up, registered. And the power of addiction took me out, and I never saw the start line of that race. So where did, because you've got Christ and sobriety. Yes. One can't be without the other in your life. That's what exactly. I'm hearing. Yes. Sobriety without Christ, Christ without sobriety. When did that combination, for lack of better words, come into your life where it really changed your direction? I heard the scriptures and I, you know, I'm not going to preach a sermon, but it said, therefore, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. And that changed my life. 
because for the first time in my life, I said, if I give myself over, I can get rid of the loser. I can get rid of the scarlet letter. I can get rid of the labels. I'm not defined by what I did, but what I'm pursuing. I don't run from alcohol. I run towards Christ. I run towards a life that's fulfilling, that's of service, that's for him, not for me. So that shift that I am no longer labeled by what I do instead of what I am pursuing radically changed everything and the surrender of my will to do these things that I know are wrong for me, but to surrender to a higher power, which mine is Jesus Christ, changed everything. That was the defining moment that now I can live a life of purpose, a life of meaning, and I can help others that are in the same situation as me. And there's nothing in this world I can't do because it's not my strength. But And it's, and it's not as I'm hearing in your life, Alex, it's not an overnight thing. All of a sudden, no. oh, I found Christ on Tuesday and I'm okay on Wednesday. <laughs> it, yeah. it, it just wasn't an overnight thing with you. It, it no. was a progression and progress and going back into the bad well and coming back out over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, but it finally happened for you. Yeah. It, it, like you said, it's a journey. I had so many issues that were built over, like you said, over a lifetime, that there is no way even in one year of a program that you're going to be able to unpack all those things. And, you know, the community of people that came around me said they're going to believe for me when I didn't believe for myself. A group of men came to rescue me when I was homeless. My friend uh, was on a treadmill running and and said that if uh, that he heard God say, if he doesn't come get me, I'm going to die. And I happened to be walking down a street in the middle of downtown Indianapolis. I didn't even know where I was. I was so high. And somebody knocked on the window and said, are you Alex? And there's a phone in the thing. And I was like, yeah, yeah. because you know, I think I'd gotten kicked out of this place before. And I grabbed the phone and it was him. And he said, I was told that if I don't come get you, I'm going to die. And I had enough drugs on me in that moment where I said, if you don't come get me, I will surely die. And within two and a half hours, somebody sent the car and I was driven four hours away where they would throw me in a hotel and pay for everything. They promised me that I would go to a methadone clinic. Only reason I got in the car. And we had some violent conversations in that hotel room when I found out there would be no methadone. Wow. Where I would detox in that room. And that was I bowed my knee for real on February 20th, 2014. And Mike, I'm proud to say that I haven't drank, smoked a thing since that day in that hotel room, which will be nine years this year. Good for you, Alex. Congratulations on that. That's, that's, it's beautiful. Hold on, everyone. We'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. I just finished up a run and Activite's the official topical pain relief partner of Ironman keeps me going. Don't let strain and pain keep you from your training, keep you from finding your finish line. Activite's comes in three different applications, roll-on, spray, and gel. Check out all the products on Amazon.com, at Walmart, and Ironman.com, and have Activite's help you find your finish line. Al- 
Alex Delgado. You're, you're at the start line of Ironman Arizona. You're probably thinking like everybody else getting into that water. What the heck am I doing here? I got to go 140.6 miles. I love Christ. I'm sober. But oh my gosh, now I'm going to do an Ironman. Yes. Uh, tell us about that day. Oh, let me give you some context. So I, I lined up San Diego 70.3 three weeks before to see what I had. Oh, the Oceanside race? Ocean, or? Oceanside. Yeah. So I yeah. do Oceanside three weeks before. Give me a gauge of where I'm at. Three days before Oceanside, I spike a fever, get bronchitis, 101 fever. I'm on antibiotics. Greg said, hey, I went to Ironman. I was like, hey, can I defer? They're like, it's too late in the game. Greg says, Alex, you got to go in the swim. That cold water will probably help you. At least do the bike. It'll be a training day. We finished. That's right. That's when we had, just to clear it up for everybody, that's when we had Arizona earlier in its history, and we the race was in April. No, Texas is the one I did. Oh, Texas. I'm Texas. sorry. Texas yeah. was in April. Yeah. So I went yeah. from uh, April 2nd, uh, San Diego, to April 23rd, Texas. For, for Texas. Okay. Yeah. My mistake. So uh, I finished San Diego with 101 fever. Then I get bronchitis again. So I'm on antibiotics for two weeks straight before Texas. <laughs> I'm going into Texas like I'm a dead man walking. I, I, I don't know what I'm in there. And then all of a sudden while we're in Texas, the winds just keep picking up every day. <laughs> we had 30 mile an hour headwinds the day of that race. I was doing 250 watts at 12 miles an hour on that highway and 36 miles an hour at 150 watts on the way back. And I got two flat tires on that. Of course, day. You, of course you did. That was part of the deal. That, that was that was that was the plan, whether you knew it or not. Not one flat tire, but two. Oh my! I was losing it. I was screaming in the air like you didn't bring me out here not to finish. People are coming alongside. I was like, listen, I used to be a heroin addict. This is more than race for me. I gotta get to the and. Uh, People were coming and helping. And at the end of the day, the reason I love the Ironman community, the athletes came and helped me. I didn't have a spacer in my rear 858 that I oh, knew geez. nothing about. Now I do. Yeah. <laughs> What's a spacer? Yeah. Just put some air in the thing. Let's go. And uh, I gathered everything. I was on the side of the road for an hour and a half. So I ended up doing a seven-hour 45 bike in the water. I, I ended up something special. Greg and I came out of the water together. The oh, chances cool. of that happening side by side, I had no idea. I saw yeah. him about what, with about 100 yards to go. And when I saw him and came out of that water, it was like, I'm not in this alone. Let's go. And, and it, you know, and then the, the that highway took your soul that day for sure with that <laughs> win. <laughs> and then the run began. And, and of course, had some GI issues. I went to the bathroom almost every mile at one point. <laughs> but at the end, I, I got to mile 25, uh, finishing 25. I was getting 26. And I just stopped. And I said, I'm going to walk this whole thing. And I wept and cried and, and just took it all in. Because I knew within 15 minutes you were going to call my name. And I trained in the cold of Indiana in the hurt of relapse, through all of it, waiting to hear you call my name. That's what I would think of when I was out there. Alex Delgado, you are an Ironman. It meant a lot to me. It meant something to me that, hey, that loser's gone. 
I belong to a different half percent of the population now. And I took it in and it happened so fast, Mike, I don't even know if I heard you call my name. I had to go back and rewind it. But I hit an exhilaration of a roar when I crossed that line that it, it you know, it, it was done. We finished that race. Those last 10 miles or so when you were walking, Alex, did it seem like all the emotions, all the bad memories, all the fear, did they just kind of drain out and lay themselves on the cement and you left them behind? Was it like that? It, it was a look how far you've come. It is finished. It is finished. You know, look how far and look who's waiting for you at that finish line. My bride, pregnant with our third child, you know, and had future Iron Man pointing down. Greg, who had already finished because he didn't wait for me. <laughs> He's 62 <laughs> years old and he burned me because I got the two flat tires. Uh, but um, it, it, and then some other friends and family. And, and that's when, you know, something else was awakened that day too, though, because it was like, we can do this. And not only can we do this, we can do this better. And, and we still got one race to go. And that's Kona. So it awakened, you know, and I came home. Most people don't do this. Maybe they do. I think you do either or. I signed up for two races within three weeks. <laughs> so I will see you in California. Oh, yeah. You're, 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 on, you're on the journey, dude. I'll tell you that right now. I can tell. Yeah. You're on that journey. So, yeah. And then some struggles this year. I blew my back out completely. I have two bulging discs and some other issues. I was training way too hard, uh, but I paused and uh, I'm ready. I, I'm ready to walk the marathon, but it's for me, it's not about how fast I get there. It's that I get there. It's like, you know, I, I hear it all the time. And when people come to any finish line in their life that they've been training for, dreaming about, and knowing that it's so hard to get there, it's almost like a new you is created, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Right yeah. at that point. Yes. This, it, I, ha, I do a lot of things for other people, and, and I serve a lot. This is my lane. This one's for me. <laughs> you know, this is, this is me. It's just me and my Savior out there. You know, it, this, this is me and him. It's my escape, my place where I can just be free. I love the open road. I love running. I love biking, swimming. Yeah. It, it, it showed me a discipline that I plan on. I want my kids are all going to be at this next one. Cause it's local and my girl's going to oh, run. Good. She's going to run iron kids and you're going to see all a little right. funky little Cuban fireball four year old. Yeah. I'll be there. I'll high five her and call her yeah. an iron kid. You can oh, be assured of that. That's awesome. What, what Alex, what message, you know, you've got young children you know, before we know it, they'll be 10 years old and teenagers. And what message do you want them to move forward with that you could teach them through all this? Anything is possible. You know, I, I never want them to lose faith in knowing that anything is possible, especially with God. You know, my kids don't have to grow up in a traumatic environment. They don't have to grow up the way I did and to believe in themselves, you know, that uh, they, they, I tell my daughters, I love them and they're beautiful every day. 
uh, not just because I want to, I want it to be ingrained in their DNA that they're loved and they don't have to, they're, they're fighting from a position of loved and not looking to be loved. Oh, very powerful. Yeah. Very well put. And I have a 15 year old stepson who we pour in the same exact values, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. So now besides the training and all these races you're doing, you're a pastor, <laughs> yeah. you you uh, you know your number one goal i believe is to help teenagers because it's such a my gosh to be a teenager nowadays what a tough tough road yeah uh you see that as your calling also don't you yeah i was a youth pastor for six years so i just lived in the teenage wow. community where that's where everything i would pour out and and you know we were in urban america you know it wasn't it, it was hard and we, we saw a lot of kids find hope. I, I What would drive me is, what could I tell the old Alex? What would I say to that boy who was so afraid? And I would try to create an environment where they would feel safe, where they could put their guard down. Uh, this next generation has such an identity crisis and such a complex and so much information thrown at them that they don't have a place where they could just be themselves. So try to create an environment for that. The funny thing is Teen Challenge that I work with is actually for adults now. So this last year we've transitioned in adults. But my my biggest purpose for living, Mike, I would say is to bring hope to the hopeless. To bring to bring hope to people that it doesn't matter how far gone you are, if you're breathing, anything is possible. If you're breathing, there's a chance for you. If you're breathing, God has a plan for your life and I've seen it over and over and over again. Well, I was going to ask you as one of my last questions, what advice would you have to all those age groupers out there? But I think they just heard the best advice they can get from you. If you're breathing, anything is possible. Uh, that, that, that's perfect. Yeah. But I do have a final question for you, Alex. I've got friends that race the Baja 1000 in trophy trucks, and, and I've driven that course down there, that wild... It's crazy. But afterwards, they get together and they sit around and reminisce about the race. They call it table racing. They sit at the table. They reminisce about the long days and all that good stuff. So my last question is try table racing. Reminisce with us a, a portion of an event you did that sticks in your mind that was hard or easy or whatever. Just get, do a little reminiscing with us about an event. Yeah. Well, I think we, we mentioned uh, San Diego already. <laughs> right. Something, maybe something within the event, something that you'd think of like, wow, I didn't know that was going to happen. Um, well, two flat tires on my first Ironman absolutely will <laughs> top the list of that. I had no idea on earth that was going to happen. And I think going out into San Diego's 10-foot swirls, <laughs> some moment where i was like what am i doing out here <laughs> this is nuts they weren't they weren't 10 foot they everybody comes from someplace else and they go look at those they're 10 foot they're like two footers oh my goodness it scared me and i was listening to this motivational thing from a marine that says there's the greatest shark waters <laughs> in yeah. San Diego, yeah which did not help at all but uh, what sticks out to me in races is the relationships that I've made in the race. 
So in Texas, there's like five or six people. We communicate weekly on Facebook, on Strava. <laughs> we talk to one another. Uh, this one lady, uh, I don't even know her name. I called her Tank. I just kept saying, tank, get over here. <laughs> she was like 65 years old and she would just take off like a tank. And we did about 20 miles of that thing together. I'd get in front of her, she'd come back and we're shuffling this thing. And it was like, you know, I, I told my wife, if the church was half as positive as the, the Iron Man community, we would change the world. <laughs> because everybody out there has one goal one purpose. Nobody's questioning, did you train hard enough? Let's get there together. Let's yeah. get there no matter what. I never heard anyone say, oh, you should stop. <laughs> no, let's go. Yeah. So that that's my favorite moments of a race. And it happens every race. I, I meet someone. I, a guy came up to me on San Diego and told me he was 350 pounds. And I looked and he was probably like 250. And I just started crying because you never know the story. I know. That's, I know. that's right next to you. If you know your why, the how is easy. Everybody out there has a why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Alex, thank you very much for your time and sharing your, your, your life story. Hopefully your story will inspire others, others to, you know, get off the couch and, and do what they need to do yeah. to change their lives. And it doesn't happen overnight. No. And your story lets us know that it doesn't happen overnight and you don't get an Ironman done in an hour either. So no. it, it Ironman mass life. And, and I think you've, uh, you've figured both of those out, but don't stop trying to figure it out. Okay, Alex, Amen. you got my word. <laughs> yeah. All right, Alex and Kona, but I will see Kona. <laughs> yeah. You'll see Kona. I, I have every confidence in the world. You will see Kona. So good luck on that journey. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining me again for another edition of Find Your Finish Line, presented by Activize, the official topical pain relief partner of Ironman. If you like the podcast, give us a review. You can pick us up on Spotify, Overcast, or go to my website, MikeRiley.net. Thanks again, everybody, for joining. And remember, you're the cause of your own experiences. Make those experiences positive, and you'll find your finish line. Aloha.